0: Okay, well, good evening and welcome back. We are on week five of our study of the attributes of God, and I am glad you are here as we continue on through the summer months. This is a bit of a change for us in our church schedule going on through the summer, but I think it's going to be good for us, and I'm grateful that you are here this evening. As we've been working through the last four weeks, again, tonight is week five, We've hit a lot of tough topics, and these are topics that make our mind hurt. And part of that is because on all these topics, we're talking about the idea that God has no limits, and everything in our world has limits. And so for us to talk about God having no limits, God being infinite, is hard for our brains to understand. We talked about God's independence a few weeks ago. God's independence is God doesn't need nothing. He has no limitations of even needing anything from His creation or anything else. We talked about God's eternality, that God's relationship to time, and God has no limits, with regard to time, and you know, we live bound by schedules and clocks and all those type things, and we can't understand being outside of time. Then last week we saw God's spirituality, and there was a lot of aspects to that, but in particular I mentioned in passing, and we'll go deeper with it tonight, is that God has no limits in regards to space, to spatial dimension. So everything we've seen so far in these first few weeks have been what we would call incommunicable attributes, attributes of God He does not share with us, His people. They're unique to God. And if you want a theme word for them all, is that God has no limits in any of these attributes. That God is infinite in all of these. And we are so finite, it's hard for our finite minds to understand infinity. I've got a quote for you there on the front page of your handout from A.W. Tozer. And this just, when I read this this week, I was like, this just summarizes a lot of what I feel with this. He says, God is infinite. That's the hardest thought I will ask you to grasp. You cannot understand what infinite means, but don't let it bother you. I don't understand it, and I'm trying to explain it. Infinite means so much that nobody can grasp it. But reason nevertheless kneels and acknowledges that God is infinite. We mean by infinite that God knows no limits, no bounds, and no end. What God is, he is without boundaries. All that God is, he is without bounds or limits. And that's what we've seen so far as we talk about God's independence, God's eternality, God's spirituality. And now we get to God's omnipresence on this one. We see this in a lot of places in Scripture, but I just want you to see it in one place here, and we'll go deeper with this through the night. But Psalm 139, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. There's just a glimpse of what we're going to see tonight with God not having any limits in relationship to his presence, in relationship to what we would call space. And so the big word for this, if you want the big term to use around the office tomorrow with your friends, God is omnipresent. Omni comes from a Latin prefix that means all. So when we say omni, we're saying all omnipresence, that's literally God is all present. What that means in our basic definition there is in regards to space, God is unlimited. He is present everywhere. Now when I say in regards to space, don't think NASA. Don't think Star Wars. Don't think Star Trek. You know, when, I, when, when I hear the word space and I'm reading different people talking about this attribute of God, I hear the word space, I immediately go to like Star Trek, Star Wars, NASA, stuff like that. We're talking about spatial realities, spatial dimensions on this. This means that in regards to all s- presence of space, spatial realities, God is unlimited. He is present everywhere. From the furthest core of the earth to the furthest part of the universe, God is there everywhere. And we'll see more of what that means. Like we do most weeks, I want to give you several different people's attempts to define it. Again, as we're talking about these incommunicable attributes, of God, these attributes he does not share with his creation, we also to see different people struggling with the limitations of our language to try to explain what we mean by this. So tonight we've given you five different people's attempts to explain how God is omnipresent. The first is James P. Boyce. He was one of the founders of Southern Seminary back in Louisville in the 1800s. He said this, God is not confined to space any more than he is measured by time. He is present everywhere. He is present at one and the same time everywhere. So again, the idea of no limits. So God is here and God is on Pluto right now. Whether that's a planet or not, that's a different discussion, but he's on Pluto. God is in the sun. God is in China. God is here. God is in the mountains. God is in the depths. God is everywhere and all the time in that. John Todd, who was a pastor in the 1800s here in the U.S., said this, God is everywhere, present, at all times and in all places. You know, just a different way to say it. John Frame, who's a great theologian, has said this. He said, this does not mean merely that God is omnipresent in space, but that he transcends space altogether. To transcend is to go beyond the limits of something, to go above something. So he's saying God is not just everywhere, God is above, outside of spatial realities, yet he operates in it. A.W. Tozer said, God is close to everywhere, he is near to everything and everyone, he is here. So Tozer takes it from a more relational aspect that everywhere you go, God is right there. With you. And then Wayne Gruden, one of my favorite theologians, says this way God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present in every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. <clears throat> I like this definition the best of all of them because there's two things he hits that I think are really important here, and we'll talk about these this evening. One, he says that God is present in every point of space with his whole being. Remember back to our very first week, we talked about the unity of God. It's not like God is. You know, in a merciful mood today, in a wrathful mood today, or in this place, you know, he's feeling a certain way in a different place, he feels a certain thing. God is fully unified in his whole being, and that his whole being is there in all these places. But yet he clarifies here for us this definition that yet God acts differently in different places. So God in his whole being in all his attributes is present, God may choose to act differently in different places in different times. Again, we'll look at what that means in just a minute, just to try to unpack some of it. Other terms are used if you're reading other people on this. Sometimes God's omnipresence is called God's eminence and transcendence. Eminence meaning he's near to us. Transcendence being he's greater and above all. So God is here and God is everywhere. That's kind of what they mean when they talk in that. Um, One author I was reading talks about God's spatial transcendence. And I'm like, what in the world? That sounds like something from, again, Star Wars or Star Trek. But again, he's talking about that in regards to spatial realities, God is near and far. The other term that's most commonly used is God's immensity. Immensity technically means huge Not my favorite term because God is beyond huge. God is everywhere. It's not just God is big. God is everywhere. So I stick with the term omnipresent. Now, what does this attribute of God mean for us here before we talk about how it affects how we relate to God and to one another? Number one, God created space. Thus, all space belongs to him. Genesis one one. I feel like we use this verse almost every week. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, there was a time. Well, there wasn't. There was a time, if you can call it time, there was... Before time, there was no space. So when we think of spatial realities, that was created during the six days of creation. Time, space, all these things that our whole lives are bound to came about during the six days of creation. So there was a time before time, if you can call it that, when there was not even time and there was no space. So where was God? Well, there was nowhere for God to be because there was no space. God was just everywhere, though there was nowhere, if that makes sense. So... Space came about, spatial realities came about... ...when God created the heavens and the earth... ...during those first six days of creation. Here's what Wayne Greedham says to describe it. God is a being who exists without size or dimensions in space. In fact, before God created the universe... ...there was no matter or material, so there was no space either. Yet God still existed. Where was God? He was not in a place that we could call a where... ...for there was no where or space, but God still was. So if you're having trouble sleeping tonight... There's your quote for tonight. To think about it, there was a time before time when there was no space or where, but yet God just was. God is that big and He's in that great. He created space. He created time. He's outside of those things. Deuteronomy chapter ten, verse fourteen: Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Why God created, it, therefore God owns it. All of the, we experience, the whole universe belongs to God because the whole universe is not an accident. God is the creator. He spoke it into being, therefore it all belongs to Him. But it's not just that He created all these things, therefore He owns it, but Colossians 1.17, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Friends, if God was not omnipresent, this universe would collapse. The only reason why the earth continues in its orbit around the sun every 365 days is because God is omnipresent only reason our moon doesn't come crashing into the earth is because God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He not only created it, he's outside of it. He creates space, time, matter, all these things. He's the one who owns it because he made it, yet he's the one who sustains it and keeps it all moving the way it's supposed to because it's his and he is part of it all. The big picture of this is there at the bottom of page two. God is sovereign over all spatial realities. As John Frame says, the point is not that God is excluded from space, but rather he sovereignly controls it. So God created it. That's our foundation. If we don't get that, nothing else will make sense of this. It starts with the fact that God created space, the reality of spatial realities that we know. Number two then flows from that. God in His fullness is everywhere. God in His fullness is everywhere. In other words, God is present everywhere as He's ruling over, as He's sustaining all that He made. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 and 24. He says, "'Am I a God at hand,' declares the Lord, "'and not a God far away?' Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. He is at hand. He's near. He's very close to us. But yet he fills heaven and earth. He's everywhere. It's that transcendence and immanence both. He's near. He's far. He's everywhere on that. And friends, this is important because his fullness is everywhere. It's not part of God is here and part of God's in China and part of God's in Australia and part of God's on the moon. God in his fullness is here. Right now, God in His fullness is meeting with the people in the house church in China right now. God in His fullness is in the middle of Australia right now. God in His fullness is on Antarctica right now. God in His fullness is on the moon right now. God in His fullness is everywhere right now. God doesn't, God's unified, doesn't divide into parts. God in His fullness is everywhere. In His totality, He is everywhere all of the time. James Boyce again said it this way. He fills it, the universe, with His essence. He fills it not as part to part, but the whole infinite deity is entirely undividedly present at each point of creation and each moment of time. So again, if you're having trouble sleeping tonight, try to get your mind around that one. Not part of God is here and part of God is there. All of God in his totality is here. All of God's totality is there. There is nowhere that there is not God on that. But with that said, though God is in his fullness is everywhere. Number three, God cannot be contained by any space. So here's the balance sheet. God is everywhere, but number three, God cannot be contained by any space. This means that God has no size. So we can try to get our minds around this idea. Everything we know has size, right? We have a size, our room has a size, our car has a size, our house has a size, our country has a size, oceans have size, planets have size, everything has size, but God has no size. This goes back to what we talked about last week. God is a spirit, therefore he's not doesn't have size, not made of matter, or like we think of matter. So therefore, God can be everywhere. It also means that God cannot be contained by space. First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built? This is Solomon speaking, and Solomon gets it. Think of the temple that Solomon built. This massive, beautiful, glorious temple. He's saying He admits when he, when, he, when he builds a temple, this temple can't hold God. There's nothing that can contain God. Our earth can't contain God, and surely a temple in it cannot contain God. We cannot box God in. Literally here, the highest heavens cannot contain God. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2 is just a beautiful image for us to help us get this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my what? So when you get in from work and you decide to kick up your feet and put them on your footstool, you have your recliner, that little kind of insignificant part of the chair that your dirty feet go on, the vastness of our earth is but like a footstool to God. Because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's that beyond immense and huge. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you have built for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Friends, if God with his hands, that's figurative language, makes the whole universe, then he's greater than the whole universe. So, so tonight when you're going home, look up in the sky If the clouds part, and you see the vastness of the universe and galaxies and stars that are millions of light years away from us, and God spoke that into being, and he's bigger than all of that, and all of that that you see in the sky tonight cannot contain him because he's bigger than all of that and that should just kind of blow our minds there but that not only that next point there says not only does God have no size but God not only fills all of space he transcends it all so again look at the universe tonight and then think about what Tozer said here God's being does not dwell in space he swallows up space so you can go look at the vastness of the universe look at the stars and God swallows it up I've given you kind of a random picture there right This picture of a kid holding a bucket in the ocean. What in the world is it? This is the best imagery I've tried to, that I've heard of to help me understand this idea of God filling space, but transcending space. So if you go to the the beach this summer with your family or going on a little vacation, and you get to the beach, and if your kids don't do this, you do it. You take a bucket, and you go put the bucket in the Gulf of Mexico, and does the ocean fill the bucket? Does the ocean fill the bucket? Yeah, the bucket is full of the ocean, but can the bucket contain the ocean? No. It's true to say that the ocean is in the bucket, but that little bucket in the Gulf of Mexico is nothing compared to the vastness of the ocean. That's an image for us of this idea of God being imminent and transcendent. God cannot be contained by space. Is God here? Yes. Is God present on earth, omnipresent on earth? Yes. Is God omnipresent in the universe? Yes. But that's like a drop in the bucket. His vastness, He swallows up space because He's that Big. And that's the best image I can find of trying to understand the fact that God is fully present here, but yet He's so much bigger. And there's that last thing on that page for us. If God could be contained to one place, He would not be God. If, he's, if we could fit God in this room, that's not a God we should follow. If we could fit God in the United States, that's not a God we want to follow. If we could fit God in this earth, that's not a God we want to follow. God transcends it all. He's so much greater. There's a quote I found, and I did not put it on your handout, so just listen. It's also from Tozier. He says, If there were any borders to God, if there is any place where God is not, then that place would mark the confines or the limits of God. And if God had limits, God could not be the infinite God. We have to serve a God who is infinite with no limits whatsoever. So turn the page number four then, but here's the balance for us. God is this great, God is this infinite, God is omnipresent, he swallows up space. Yet number four, God acts in different ways. At different places and times. So now, this is a clarification for us because if God is fully present all the time, we don't want to think that God always acts the same way all the time in every place. The fullness of his attributes are there, but he may express certain ones at different times, different places. So, again, A.A. A. Hodge, an old theologian, said this As to essence and knowledge, his, God's presence, is the same everywhere and always. <clears throat> As to his self manifestation in the exercise of his power, his presence differs endlessly in different cases in degree and mode. Thus God is present to the church as he is not to the world. So God is fully present everywhere all the time, in the totality of all of his, of his being, but yet God chooses to act different ways in different places. And if you want to distinguish this, there's kind of two ways to look at it. Sometimes we think of God's presence, God can be present to bless. When you look at Scripture and you see references to the presence of God, most of the time it's a reference to the fact that God is present to bless his people. Psalm 1611 is just one of a multitude of examples we could look at. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, again, the idea of in His presence, are pleasures forevermore. So when we think of God's presence, a lot of times we're thinking of the fact that He's there to bless. But we have to balance that because God in His fullness of His presence, next thing can be present to judge also. God in one can be in one place in the fullness of His, of his being, blessing people in another place in the fullness of his being judging and that's up to God's sovereign plans that but God can be present to judge as well Micah chapter 3 verses 9 through 12 now real quick this is Israel they had this false idea that because God was with them they were safe they had this idea it didn't matter if they sinned it didn't matter what they did because God was with them they were okay they had this idea that if God's presence was always going to be to bless and they missed the fact that God can choose to judge so Micah chapter 3 Verses 9 through 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. His heads give judgment for a bride. His priests teach for a price. His prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of wooded height. This is God talking to his people. He's bringing his presence not to bless, but his presence to judge. His nature does not change, God's attributes do not change. But in this situation, because of their sin, God removes his presence to bless, and instead judges in this situation. And likewise, Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, is very similar. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, "'Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake.' and shatter them on the heads of all the people, and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and shall bite them. God's presence is so full, when he chooses to judge, you can't get away. But likewise, when His presence is there, there to bless, there's nothing that can stop it. So just realize, though, God and His presence is fully there all the time. He can act different ways in different times, and different places, as He sees fit. Remember the definition we saw back on page two from Wayne Greedham: God does not have size or spatial dimensions, and is present every point of space with His whole being. Yet, God acts differently in different places. And then, lastly, number five there on this. Understanding this truth avoids the errors of deism and pantheism. Deism and pantheism, neither one of these are Christian beliefs, but they're they're out there. Deism is the belief that says that God made the universe, God is all-powerful, then he's kind of let it go. He's distant, he's not close. He's kind of like the watchmaker who makes the watch, and then he just kind of is hands-off. There's no point in prayer, there's no point in doing anything, because God is hands-off. The attribute of God's omnipresence shatters deism, because God is here. God is, fills everything, everywhere. There's nowhere we can run from his presence. He's not just a distant God. He's a near God. Yes, he transcends space, but he's very much imminent, very much near us. The other thing that this, this attribute of God helps us balance against is pantheism, and that's the view that everything is God. I remember as a kid, I don't know if, it's, if they still do this, but when I was a kid and you travel to cities, there was a Hard Rock Cafe in just about every major tour city you go to. And it was always so cool because, again, I'm dating myself. When I was a kid, what you got at every Hard Rock Cafe was, was a match set. They got a little matchbook of matches. And that was what they gave out at the restaurants. And they had the cool little hard rock logo on. And on the top of the matchbook, it said, All is God. And they would give that out. And I remember as a kid thinking, That's so strange. It was pantheism that was being promoted there. That look, you're God. This chair is God. The tree is God. Save the trees. The whale is God. Save the whale. It's, everything is God. And princess that's not what the reality of God's, God's attribute here is. The fact is, God is everywhere. But God is distinct from His creation. God is not... The chair, but God is present here. God is not the tree, but God is present around us here as well. And so Deism denies God's eminence, pantheism denies that God is a state, and understanding a biblical understanding of this attribute of God guards against either. Now I hope some questions have popped into your mind as we're talking about this. So here's my but wait, here's some questions. If God is everywhere, number one, what's so special about heaven? Like why is there such a longing to go to heaven? If God is everywhere, what is it that's different about that? If God in the fullness of his attribute is right here, right now, why is there such a longing in our hearts for heaven? Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 15. God says, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel. Wait, his holy habitation? I thought God couldn't be contained anywhere. God is everywhere. How is this his habitation? Psalm eleven four: The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test. The children of man. What does all this mean? It means that God is everywhere, but God has chosen in His sovereign plans to manifest Himself and His glory in in a special way in heaven. It's not that God is more in heaven than here. It's not that here there's less of God's presence in heaven, but God has a greater manifestation, a greater display of who He is in heaven according to His own plan. It's a focused display of His character, a focused display of His glory, just an intensity of His presence this that's this more intense there. Again, it's not he's more present there. It's just the experience for the souls that are there is more intense than here because of his own design. And you can see at the bottom of the page for this quote from A.A. A. Hodge, he, God, is present in heaven and the manifestation and communication of gracious love and glory. There's just something special about how God shows himself in heaven, but that doesn't deny the fact that he is just as fully here as he is there. But then, number two, if God is everywhere, is God in hell? A lot of times when we think of hell, we think of hell as the absence of God. God's in heaven, hell is the absence of God, and we're stuck somewhere in between. But that's not real. The, the reality of God's omnipresence means God is fully in heaven, God is fully here, and God, yes, is fully in hell as well. I remember the first time I was in seminary, I was my first year in seminary up in Louisville, and I'm sitting in a systematic theology class, and they're talking about God's omnipresence, and my professor started talking about the fact that, that God is in hell, and I'm going, never heard that before. Like, and I was like, I'm not sure I like that. You know, like, it, was just, it challenged a lot of what I thought, but the more I got looking at it, it's true, it's what the scripture teaches for us, that hell is not really the absence of God. You see there on the top of page 5, hell is not the absence of God. Rather, hell is the presence of God pouring out His wrath with no mediator available for those souls. So when we kind of think of hell, people in our culture have this idea of hell is just a party, people go do what they want. Friends, hell is the presence of God with your back against the corner, with the wrath of God being poured out, with nowhere to go and no no mediator to stop it. It's the reality of hell is hell is very much the presence of God as he's revealing his wrath for offending him and and sinning against him in this life. There's a quote there from A.A. Hodge, and he says, Thus he, God, is present in hell, and the manifestation and execution of righteous wrath. There's several places you see this in Scripture, and there's others you could go to, but here's just three examples. Psalm 139, verses 7 8. <coughs> Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol's a reference to hell, to the place of the dead, This is the imagery that she used in Scripture for it. And so even if this person makes their bed in Sheol, God is there. Job twenty six six is very similar. Sheol is naked before God. Imagery there is God's eyes see everything. And even what's happening in hell is not the absence of God. His eyes are ever-present. He is very present and knows what is happening there. And then Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 22. God says, For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. So again, hell is not the absence of God. Is It's God's presence, but his wrath being poured out against those who do not have a mediator, who have not been redeemed by Christ. So God is everywhere. Yes, he's in heaven. There's just a special display of his greatness, so he's everywhere. And yes, he is in hell, and that's where he chooses to display his wrath against sinfulness there. And then number three, if God is everywhere, why does the Bible say he can be near and far? Ever looked at those passages? God is near to people. God is far from people. I thought God was omnipresent. How is God omnipresent and near and far in that. Here's several examples where you can find this in scripture. Psalm chapter 73. I love Psalm 73. It's one of my favorite psalms. It said, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. I may tell of all your works. Wait, God is everywhere. God's in heaven. God's in hell. God's in depth of the oceans. God's on the planet Pluto. God's out in that faraway galaxy. God's right here. God's at your house. If God is everywhere, how can he be nearer or further from us? How about Proverbs 15, 29? The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Or the promise of James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So how is God, if he's everywhere, how can he be near and far? Well, I hope you interpret this in light of what we just talked about a few minutes ago. God is fully everywhere, but but he chooses to act in different ways at different times. We talk about the nearness of God. We're talking about his presence to bless. That's really what we're asking for here. God, be near me. Well, we're going to talk about that in your small tonight. What are you really asking for when you say, God, I want you to be near me? You know, what are we asking for? We're asking for his, his presence to bless in our lives here. What does it mean to the Lord to be far from his people or far from people? That's judgment. That's an imagery for judgment. If you look throughout scripture, apart from Christ, we are alienated from God. Alienated not in the sense that God doesn't know where we are. I lost him. He's somewhere over there. He ran for me. I have no clue where he went. That's not what alienation is. Alienation is we are separated because God is holy and if we don't have a mediator, if we're not covered with the blood of Christ, God looks on us and his wrath is burning against us because we have offended him. And so being far from God is not a a separation of distance, it's a separation of character. He's holy and we are not. And so if God is everywhere, why does the Bible say can be near or far to help us understand our relationship to him? That is not a distance measurement of nearness and farness that's a relational measurement for us of that. Now, of all these things, I believe the most important application of this entire truth of the omnipresence of God, this is not just some theoretical concept out there, this has very real implications for our lives here, and it's simply this, we cannot escape God. There is no way, any shape, form, or fashion that we can get away from god we've already read psalm 139 but go back to your front page and look at it again with all this in view if you if you realize you've offended god and you try to run can you get away from him no i mean even think back to in genesis when adam and eve first sinned and they try to hide from god i mean do you get the picture of this here's infinite god and he's everywhere and they're hiding behind a bush i hope god doesn't see me here you know but we do that too in a lot of ways. We kind of act like maybe I can escape from God's notice. But Psalm 139, back on the front page. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? you are going to talk about this in your small group in just a little bit. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night... Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Friends, we cannot escape God's presence in any way at all. I'm giving you some quotes here just to think about this. A.W. Tozer said this, God is always nearer than you imagine him to be. Let that one sink in. God is always nearer than you imagine him to be. God is so near that your thoughts are not as near as God. The thoughts going through your mind that no one on this planet knows have crossed your mind, God is nearer than those thoughts. Let that one sink in. Your breath is not as near as God. How about that one? you feel, put your hand in front of your face, you feel the warmth coming out. God is nearer than that. That's what Toto says. Your very soul is not as near to you as God is. God is everywhere. Think of the implications of that. Timothy George, he's the dean of Beeson Divinity School up in Birmingham, up on the Sanford campus. He said this, "...the doctrine of God's omnipresence is one of the most comforting truths in all the Bible. It reminds us that we can never outrun the power and providence of our great Lord. God is equidistant to his people wherever they are. He hears their prayers and receives their worship, whether it is offered in giant cathedrals or tiny country churches." in the great urban centers of Europe and North America, in the steamy jungles near the equator, or the frigid isolation of the North Pole. Every place is full of His glory. We cannot escape God. And then lastly, (coughs) Rosemary Jensen, I've mentioned a prayer from her last week. She's one of the founders of Bible Study Fellowship. She said this, "'Lord, forgive me when I think that I'm alone. You are always near wherever I am, but I forget that. You also care for all people and are with all your children in any place.'" I ignore that often also, thinking that I must be there to help others when you can manage their lives perfectly well. Forgive my arrogance. Interesting prayer. <coughs> so in light of all that, turn to the back page. <coughs> Got some questions for us I want us to think about in our small groups this evening. First one is this, and we've already mentioned it, but I want you to go a little bit deeper with it. When we pray and ask God to be with us, since God is already everywhere, what are we really asking for? And think about your prayers. Do you, when, do you ever pray, God, would you please be with that person right now? God, would you please be with that person on my trial? Please be with that person who's grieving. Please be with me as I'm facing this test, this trial. Like, what are we really asking for when we say, God, be near? Because, well, God's nearer than my soul. God's nearer than my breath. God's nearer than my thoughts. So what am I asking for? And I say, God, be near. Number two, if God is always present with us, then why does our sense of his presence fluctuate? What hinders us from realizing he is always present with us? So again, God, God doesn't change. If God feels distant, friends, he didn't move. Why, do we feel, why does it fluctuate for us in our experience? Number three, I kind of wrote this up into three questions here. Should the fact that God is omnipresence, meaning there's nowhere we can go to escape him, give us hope or give us fear? So if there's nowhere we can outrun God, should that give us hope or should that give us fear? And like that, some follow-up here on this, the subpoint A, how should the truth of God's omnipresence then help us fight sin? Okay? We all struggle with temptation. There's a very real enemy who throws temptations at us. How does this attribute and meditating this attribute help us in our fight for holiness? And then, how, likewise, how should the truth of God's omnipresence help us during trials? We all face trials. How does this attribute of God help us? Because, again, this is not just some theoretical attribute of God. This is an attribute of God that changes how we know him, that impacts very real our day-to-day, moment-by-moment life. <clears throat> Number four, then... How should the truth of God's omnipresence affect how we approach our corporate worship gatherings? So when you come in here on Sunday morning, how does God's omnipresence affect that? Do we gather expectantly knowing that God is with us? Is there anything we would do differently if we thought more about the fact God is present with us? And with that, as I'm I'm writing it, I'm thinking, like, if you knew that that, that our president and our congressman and the president of China and all these European leaders were going to be on the front row here at Gateway on Sunday morning... Would it change anything if you knew their presence would be here when you walked in the door? If God is omnipresence, how should that affect how we approach our corporate worship gathering? That's kind of where I'm going with it. Number five, then, since no one place can contain God, and since God is everywhere, are there places where we should look to try and experience God more fully? So I'll let you think about that one as well. Are there places we need to try to seek God's, God's presence more fully? And the, there's one more question I want you to add to your list there if you have time for it. And I, I, and I forgot, I thought about it about five minutes after I printed these today. And it was like the question I asked last week, what songs can you think of that, where we sing about this attribute of God? I don't know if y'all came up, you know, last week when we were talking about God's relationship to time, were there any songs that, or, or God's spirituality, were there any songs you could think of, you know, that communicate that? These are the truths of God's nature, so this is part of what we should be singing to Him. So what, tr- what songs can you think of? Hymns, praise choruses christian songs on the radio that would talk about the fact that god is omnipresent and god is everywhere so let's break up into several groups tonight um dave let's get you a group over here greg let's get you a group going um steve got a group back there and cj if you'll form a group over there i think we can divide up into those four groups and have fun with those god bless y'all thanks for being here tonight